The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's Moving Medicine video and podcast. Today, we're talking with Dr. Catherine Lucy, Vice Dean for Education at the University of California, San Francisco Medical School, about how the pandemic is changing the way that future physicians are trained. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Lucy. It's been quite a two years. We're hearing from a lot of medical students about uh, uh, their experience uh, during the pandemic. It's changed medical education so much, uh, some by necessity that are short-term things and others, uh, just like you know, return to office, like it will never quite be the same. So why don't we just start about talking about how the pandemic accelerated things that were really necessary uh, in terms of medical education and really given you the freedom to explore new ways of teaching. Well, thanks for this opportunity. And yes, um, I can't ever have imagined what, what, it, what we went through in the last two years. And in, in many ways, it was great because it allowed us to sort of um, really challenge our legacy practices that we th thought had to endure um, and found that much, we, much of what we wanted to do in terms of experiment with both um, the way we assess students, the way we teach students was not only possible, but, but perhaps in the long run more desirable than what we had been doing in the past. How have, uh, how have medical students reacted to this kind of change and experimentation? Yeah, it's been tough on medical students as, it's, as it's been tough on everybody in the healthcare environment. You know, uh, first the the um, amazing emotional distress of a wide pandemic with um, very easy transmission and concerns about your own morbidity and mortality uh, is particularly challenging for young people just entering the medical field. And so we want to really recognize um, how very distressing this was for them as well as for their communities. Um, but um, our students were really good. They, they worked with us and they realized we have to make sure that they keep progressing to graduation, um, that we have to make sure that they meet the same competencies and we had to do things differently. Um, so they worked with us, um, although I think most of them really would have preferred not to go to medical school during a pandemic. Well, it's, uh, I think a lot about content and distribution and they're very different kinds of things in the digital publishing world and the kind of same thing applies uh, for, for medical schools in some way because in terms of the content, yes, people yeah. are going to enter a, a workforce and a, and a situation that didn't exist before and really has to change. So um, while your instructional methods had to, uh, you know, also had to change, when you think about training these physicians yeah. of the future, how did you have to adapt to the training itself? Yes, um, and, and I think everyone, when they think about the pandemic, think, oh, is this cool? It's all technology-enabled learning. But for us, that wasn't the most important lessons that we learned. What we learned from the pandemic is the holes or the gaps that exist in current curricula and in current delivery of the curricula, particularly um, the content areas that prepare everyone in medical school, not just those who come from historically excluded backgrounds, but every single doctor is prepared, is prepared to manage the complexities of what we call syndemic conditions. Those are the interface between lots of chronic or acute medical illnesses and very dysfunctional social policies that, that leave entire communities in the lurch. Um, impoverished, low education, bad air quality, um, you name it. So I think what we've tried to do throughout the pandemic is not only prepare our students for the next pandemic, and I've been in medicine now 
since 1982. And so I think this is my third pandemic or so. So there's going to be another pandemic. That's just the way it works. Um, so we have to prepare them for the next pandemic. And you can talk about public health and crisis management. But more importantly, we have to actually help them tackle the pervasive problems of chronic disease and healthcare disparities. Um, and to tackle issues of race and racism um, that exist in medicine um, as well as society today. And so those are the content areas that we feel uh, we need the most attention to in medical education. We just, you just mentioned kind of three huge content areas, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, health equity for one, uh, public health and crisis management. Um, is there enough time in medical school for, for all of all of this to be taught? Everyone asked that question as well. And there's also a, a great affinity for legacy contents, right? So people are like, well, I was a medical student. And when I was a medical student, I did 12 weeks of anatomy, nothing but anatomy. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, when people went to medical school, their medical school was designed for this environment that they lived in at the time when I was there in the late 70s, early 80s. But, but we're in the 21st century now, and we have to redesign the content in medical schools so that our graduates are capable of addressing the problems we know we expect them to solve during the course of their next 40 years in their career. And so this means not layering things on top, like, you know, take the existing curriculum, cram in a few more lectures on public health, or, you know, have a couple of guest visitors on health equity or racism in medicine and society. Instead, it means redesigning the entire curriculum um, to have everything closely integrated and to show our learners how mastering all of this content will make them more effective doctors in the clinic or in the lab or in the community environment. So it's a, it's a total redesign. It isn't tweaking at the edges. It's, it's really a revolutionary change in the way we think about the content needed to be a doctor. That's so interesting. I mean, do you, do you feel like that's a kind of a shared uh, sense across the spectrum of medical schools right now, this whole kind of rebuild versus tweak? Um, I do think so. And, and the pandemic occurred 20 years after a lot, of, um, a lot of evolutionary and revolutionary ideas were put forth in medical education, like for example, competency-based training. Like why does it take every doctor the same number of weeks to master content? We know it doesn't. And so why do we sort of force everyone into, you know, the you know, you have to have eight weeks of this course or six weeks of this course. And so um, I think what happened in the pandemic is all of those uh, pedagogical ideas that people have been floating out, which is changing content, changing and how we assess students, give grades, transition them between medical school and residency. All of those opportunities are now back on the table um, because we had uh, in the past didn't have a sense of urgency. We had just this kind of um, desire to do something new. And it was easy to block that um, from people who just sort of said, nah, not yet. Um, but the pandemic sort of showed us our communities are suffering. Um, our health systems are under siege. Um, the well-being of our physicians and our learners is at risk. And so now we, we have this in front of us. It's a challenge that we have to, um, I think, embrace. And I'd love us to see, uh, I'd love to see us do a really comprehensive 10-year plan to redesign medical education on behalf of our communities and on behalf of our learners and, and our faculty. Medicine doesn't stand still and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine, join the movement. 
Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Well, speaking of additional layers, things to train folks about, I mean, one new challenge that all physicians are, are encountering is, you know, an increasingly, we'll call them skeptical set of patients out there. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, patients have been bombarded really with misinformation, and we've seen kind of a huge anti-science aggression. Yeah, uh, as uh, Dr. Hotez uh, articulates, you know, involves uh, you know not only resistance but also sometimes attacks on physicians and scientists. And so, what I'm curious, what kind of training do you put in place to prepare this next generation yeah. for that environment? I think it's a complex. Um, issue and a couple of things that I'll throw out I think are important in terms of training. The first is um, we have to actually train doctors to become trustworthy. You know, in the old days, you know, in the 20th century, back when I was a medical student, there was really this this mantra put people put forth, I, trust me, I'm a doctor, right? I don't think that's um, expected anymore. I think actually we have to train people what it means to be trustworthy. And it means, um, first and foremost, you have to be competent, but even more important than that in the eyes of people who want uh, who we want to trust us is you have to care about them. And so trusting people to not only rely on their competency, but to actually exhibit caring behaviors and to do so in a way that meets every patient in every community where they are is a really critical element of, of how we will begin to get past the scientific denial. The second thing is, I think we have to train people for a broader set of communication skills. And so the ACGME core competencies have interpersonal communication skills as a strategy um, that all people need to manage. But, but we, we sort of have assumed that means like one-on-one -on -one to patient to patient or one-on-one -on -one to a health, another healthcare provider. I think all physicians are going to have to learn to um, communicate in the public. Um, to be able to write op-eds, to be able to talk to legislators, to be able to, um, you know, address communities and meet them where they are and not just communicate with them, but truly engage and partner with them, which means careful listening, tailoring your message, understanding what's important to people. Uh, and then the third thing I think we have to really think about um, a past sort of tacit belief of physicians that you have to be kind of neutral, you know, disimpassioned, you know, just very clinical and, and not think, you know, not put yourself out there into the environment. I think the time for that type of physician in our environment today is past. I think we need to, to train people to be um, the type of citizen advocates so that they're making a difference not only in the exam room, but at the ballot box and in conversations with legislatures and school boards and things like that. And so I think we need to kind of rethink this, the, that professionalism means advocacy as much as it means um, altruism, respect, um, social justice, and things like that. That's a lot uh, when you think about the experience of a day-to-day -day physician, what they're going through, and then this kind of advocacy for patients outside of the office. There's a lot of responsibility. I, uh, you know, social media skills and the ability to speak mm -hmm. uh, to patients across lots of platforms. That's, uh, you know, again, not something traditionally taught in medical school. Yes, and I think that um, as we've thought about these and your earlier question was, how do you fit this all in medical school? I think there are core competencies in all of these areas, whether it's trustworthiness, social media communication, advocacy, anti-racism, where every doctor has to have sort of foundational competencies and a willingness to continue to learn in those areas. 
But I also think we're, we're going to see going forward are more translational roles where people take extra time or take sort of extra um, opportunities to become experts in those areas, whether it's physician community health or physician public health, just like we have translational scientists. I think we're going to have other translational roles. And those are the people who are going to primarily be the leaders of these, supported by um, their peers who have the foundational competencies and understanding of why it's so important to do this work. And of course, advocacy, a huge part of what we do uh, here at the AMA, and that, that ability to speak with a unified voice for physicians and patients is so important right now. Um, we also know, just kind of speaking of that, that uh, pandemic exposed gaps in healthcare in the workforce itself that need to be addressed, uh, including access to care. You, you've said that the pandemic would have played out much differently if Americans had access to a physician that they trusted. So tell me, how are leaders in medical education thinking about um, this issue? Yeah, I think that this is a really critical issue. And it's not only that they had access to a physician they trusted, but there are some communities that had no physicians. Um, they had some communities with no intensive care units um, and some communities where they had one or two doctors who were simply heroic in serving the needs of their communities and were really not supported by the type of teamwork that we would have expected in, for example, a, a major city like San Francisco or Chicago. So I think what's really lacking in our environment is a national vision of what a successful workforce looks like. Uh, we don't have it. We rely on 150 plus medical schools and you know, several thousand residency programs, um, but, but they tend to be sort of parochial in their view. They, and they still kind of focus on helping one student or every one of their students become what that student wants. And I think what we really need to do is to band together as a group of medical schools and residency programs and say, let's put together a 10 or 15 year um, initiative where we work to make sure every single community has the type of doctors that we'd choose if someone in that community were someone that we loved. Um, and that might mean you know, different loan repayment issues for people who, who go back to rural communities or go to rural communities without doctors. It might mean creating regional campuses um, in all of the big medical schools. It might mean a more strategic way to look at pipeline programs rather than just, you know, ones that are developed and launched by an individual faculty member and might just focus on one or two high schools. And so I think there's a lot of uh, low-hanging fruit that we could um, work on to better address the workforce, physician workforce needs that the nation has, um, but it is going to require collaborative e efforts and really strategic work. A lot of work to do. Um, yeah. So uh, last question really is, you know, we've got a new uh, class here about to graduate in May uh, with students who really spent, you know, their medical education during the pandemic, which has got to be a pretty intense and different experience than uh, prior classes. Is there, you know, how do these students differ from students in other kind of uh, non-pandemic period? And how are they feeling about uh, getting to practice um, right now? They're sort of battle tested already. Uh, and to use a military metaphor, uh, I myself um, was a resident right at the very beginning of the HIV pandemic. And although I didn't notice it, didn't realize it at the time, it really impacted the way I look at the field of medicine, the commitment we make to communities, um, uh, the incredible um, honor to work with vulnerable populations, many of whom have been marginalized by society. 
um, or by their own families at times. Um, and also an incredible um, appreciation of what cross-disciplinary interprofessional work could do to solve a pandemic. Um, and it really did affect the way I looked at my career for the rest of the time I've been a doctor. And so I imagine the same will be true with these students. Um, they are very well trained. There is, you know, people have talked about before, is this kind of the, you know, less well-prepared student class? No, they're, they're superb students. Um, they've actually endured and adapted despite some really challenging times. And I predict that we're going to see really great things from, from the students who went to medical school and the residents who did their residency during this pandemic. They're going to be the future leaders because they've seen what it means to deal with a really serious crisis and how mobilization of their colleagues made a huge difference to the communities in which we work. Well, a huge shout out to those students and to folks like you, Dr. Lucy, who have guided them through what has just given an incredibly challenging, turbulent time uh, to be in medical school. Thanks so much for joining yeah. us. Uh, that's it for today's video and podcast, and we'll be back with more. In the meantime, uh, don't forget to click subscribe and don't miss any more episodes of Movie Medicine. Uh, you can find all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. This has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine.